From the Diocese of Gallup, welcome to Crozier Cast. I'm Suzanne Hammonds, Director of Communications, and with me, as always, is your host, Bishop James Wall. Bishop Wall, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing great, Suzanne. How are you doing? Great, especially because today we are talking about a writer you and I both really, really enjoy, and that is uh, Flannery O'Connor. Yeah, one, um, one of the great American writers. Yeah, and this I hope uh, our readers will bear with us because, I mean, we can kind of only really brush the surface here for one of our episodes because there's so much to talk about. But um, why don't you kick it off? Why, uh, why did you choose Flannery O'Connor as the subject of our podcast? So I was introduced to uh, kind of how I was introduced to St. Augustine in his confessions. I was introduced to Flannery O'Connor uh, taking an English class when I was in college. And uh, our teacher uh, had us read what's turned out to be my favorite. So the first piece of work I read from her has turned out to be my favorite. And uh, it's a short story. She has a, a bunch of short stories. And um, her collected short stories, which have a beautiful picture of a peacock on the front, is always my, um, my vacation reading. I take it with me wherever I go. I even have it on my iPhone. So when I'm on the Camino, sometimes I can, on a quiet time, I can pull one up. And so um, the teacher had us read uh, Revelation, which I absolutely love. And it's it read a, m- most of her stuff, not all of her stuff. So I know her okay. I don't know her nearly as well as Bishop Olmsted. He's, uh, he's quite the expert. And uh, so I, I, I was introduced to this in college and, I, and I've just loved her work ever since. And you know, one of the great things about Flannery O'Connor was she was Catholic through and through. She was a a very very devout Catholic and um, died way too uh, way too early. She died in 1964, the year I was born, and uh, she died. Uh, I think she suffered from lupus, which is a you know a lifelong debilitating disease, and uh, she really suffered uh, greatly. But I think with her, you know, she as we always say, she offered up her suffering for for greater glory. So she's she's one of my favorites. I I actually hope that somebody introduces her cause because you know we talk about things that are good and true and beautiful and uh, her her I think for many people when they first read it they don't they're not able to see that but really <laughs> her her writing is is good it's true and it is definitely beautiful yeah I'm exactly the same except my the story I was introduced to was different um, so I was familiar with O'Connor because, you know, great Catholic writer, so I thought, and I, I love, as a personal note, I love the Southern Gothic kind of dark genre, like, oh, bro- oh Brother, Where Art That was my favorite Coen Brothers movie, yeah. the, you know, True Detective, all that kind of stuff, I love it. So I knew, you know, dark Southern writers sounded right up my alley, and the first one I read was um, A Good Man is Hard to Find, and I just, I had no idea what it was, it's this short story, and, you know, spoiler alert, if you're, if you're reading, I'll give you a second to turn it off. But at the end of this story, this family and their, their grandmother, they're on this road trip, they, they're all bickering, they turn off on this dirt road, and then they all get murdered by this guy and his, his, uh, a couple of his accomplices. They drag off the family into the woods and shoot them, and then the grandmother has this moment with the main man, and then he shoots her, and I read this, and I thought, what in the world is this? <laughs> and it's the same thing, it's like you're kind of slapped in the face, this is not at all what I was expecting, I mean, it was dark, which is what I was expecting, but I had no idea it would end like that. And it, uh, that's it. Kind of leads us to, I guess, what the theme of her writing was, which was like this this idea of grace versus like the grotesque. Yeah, is kind of what she yeah, writes about. The grotesque style, and she felt that um, that society and the world had become complacent, and so she she felt through, through her writing, which if you if you read her writing, I think you have to give her some time too. If you read her writing, 
what it, she wanted to do was she wanted to shock culture and society out of complacency. And um, it's almost like putting the paddles to someone. You know, they're, they're, they're near death, and you take it out and you yell clear, and you, you shock them back to life. And I think that's one of the things. If you, if you stay with her reading, and you really don't stay too surfacy with it, and you start to kind of go deeper and deeper and deeper. And one of the things, too, is I, I'd read some commentaries on her, too, some good Catholic commentaries or some good literary commentaries so you can start to pull things apart. Um, there was a, a recent article uh, that, that came out. I, f I found it on Twitter, and uh, I was pretty excited about it. But it's, uh, it's an article on her style and, and on her writing called Misfits and Mystics, uh, Flannery O'Connor and Friends. And it's on the St. Austin Review, which anyone's listened to this, I would say highly recommend the St. Austin Review. The, the writing's excellent, and uh, they pull in a few different people. And uh, so that it'll give you a little understanding of, of her writing. Again, I, I wouldn't just try not to <laughs> just to read it because I think you'll want to put it down. Yeah, well, you can't in a way because I, I kind of read a couple of her stories, especially the, the novellas. I just didn't understand. It's like, what is going on here? And you kind of have to go in and then read what's going on beneath the surface, and then it all kind of clicks into place. It and it's like, oh, this is what makes sense. Um, because I guess one of the things that this, uh, the summaries that I read is like, it, her work is sort of in contrast to, on the one hand, you know, let's say a secular humanist who believes that left to their own devices, humans can eventually be perfect on their own and build a perfect society without sure. the need of any divine intervention. Or on the other hand, someone like a, um, it noted like a Calvinist who is forced, there's no free will, you're sort of forced to do what God wants you to do. And so hers is, she has this idea of, of you know, humans are definitely fallen and you see that in many of her characters, but there's always at some point, and this, this is the story you picked out, there's this encounter with grace. Yeah, that, literally yeah. In, this, in this story, there is an encounter figuratively and literally an encounter with grace and, and um, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful how she does it. And when I say figuratively and literally, um, kind of the person that makes the, the story go, that wakes, uh, wakes this woman up from her slumber and her complacency is, uh, is Mary Grace. And, she, she, <laughs> and it was, it's literally with a book to the face. It's she does. Like, so maybe we should take a step back. So let's look at, at one of her stories. So Revelation and all of these things, again, we'll link to in our show notes if you want to look at it yourself, the article, everything. Um, but let's do a quick summary. What's the story about? So it, it actually takes place in a, a doctor's waiting room. And uh, kind of the, the main character is Mrs. Turpin. And uh, she has her, uh, her husband, Claude, right? And then they say, you know, they're, they're at the, the hospital or the doctor's office. And they're kind of sitting around. And there's all these different characters in there. And um, Mrs. Turpin is uh, quite the judger. She, uh, you know, that's the, the thing of today. You know, are you judging me? But she really is judging people. She's kind of passing judgment on everybody. If they're a good person or a bad person, you know, look at that person, what a slob, or look at that person, she's a good person, or he's a good person, a person like me. So she places herself in this one category where good people, and then she looks at others and, and kind of looks down upon them. And so this the, the story kind of unfolds, and the uh, character, this Mary Grace, you can sense like this, this, this rage and this anger just kind of <laughs> fueling inside of her. And what happens with, uh, with Flannery O'Connor is, um, you know, the paddles, like I said, the shock 
if you read it too fast, all of a sudden you stop and you go, hold on a second, something just happened there. And I think that's one of the, the, one of the beauties of, of Flannery O'Connor and her writings is, you know, in modern times when something happens, they describe it in detail in gory movies, they, these slasher movies, it just, they show all this stuff. She doesn't do that. She doesn't feel she needs to do that. But in, with her, it happens instantaneously. And with this, in this case, this girl uh, hurls, I think it's a book or a yeah. magazine, hurls her and hits her, you know, nails her, you know, square in the head. Well, what's funny is it's, the book is called Human Development. <laughs> so I mean, it's funny because, you know, her stories are dark, but there's this, there's always a bit of comic relief. Yeah, so the book is literally Human Development, which is a bit on the, it's on the nose. It's great. So here you have, you know, this encounter with Grace. So I said literally and figuratively, you have Mary Grace heaving this book at her from across the room, hitting her square in the head. And, and what it does is it kind of rattles her and it kind of shakes her a bit from this slumber, I, I would say. And um, so you, you kind of, you move uh, through the story and at the end um, you start to see the light starting to come on in her life in this very, very strange way. So she has this um, image of, of people um, ascending, right? And, you know, the people who are ascending are the people who would, she would place as the people who aren't so good, the people she, who she would judge. And the people in her mind who are the good people, like she is, those are the people in the back. And so one of the scripture passages I was thinking about, you know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So in her mind, she sees herself as one of the righteous and one of the good people and somebody will be first to heaven. But the image that she receives, and this, this is the grace-filled moment, is that um, these, these people who she looks down upon are the first to get to heaven. You know, you think about tax collectors and, or tax collectors and prostitutes, um, as essentially when our Lord's talking to religious leaders, how, how they, will, they will go to heaven, you know, if their lights are converted, if they are open themselves up to the life of grace, and if they're, they're giving themselves over to, uh, to our Lord and and to his church what i like about it is that uh you can see that she was writing for her her local the southern audience because she was she was in was it georgia in yeah georgia, yeah and so the the lady kind of um is the is the very picture of the southern gentility in a way the you know <laughs> i live in a nice house i give to the poor i hire these servants you know who happen to be a lot of times a different race than i am I, I, I pay them, even if I'm a little bit racist towards them, or I think of pe certain people below me as white trash. You know, I give to charity. I'm a nice person, but they're still beneath me. Um, but at the same time, what I like about it is I feel so much of it applies to our society today. Because I find myself, this is one of my biggest struggles, is always judging other people. Like the same that the main character does, is like looking at someone and thinking, this person is less than me because of this or that. Yeah, and you that's where our, our Lord talks about not being judged, not judging people. We can judge actions, we can look at things, and we can say if something's right or wrong, morally good or bad, right? We can do that. When our Lord talks about judging, he's like not to pass judgment on a person, essentially passing judgment on their soul. And, uh, and that's what he, because we're not a just judge, we're, f we're, f we're a flawed because of our fallen human nature. We still experience the effects of original sin. And so um, because of that, we're not going to be a just judge, and that's why we're not supposed to. Let's, let's lift up the God. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I like it too because in the end of the story, uh, before she has her, you know, revelation, doesn't she get angry at God? She kind of yells at him a little bit, which yeah. is again something I feel like we can identify with personally. You know, like who are you? Why did you let this humiliation happen to me? I'm this nice lady. You know, you let yeah. this happen in front of all these people. I'm your favorite. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've done all these good things. Yeah, it's great. And so she she literally gets mad at God and starts yelling at people or at him. Yeah, you know? she. You know, she in a sense, you know, she is a pretty virtuous woman. And, you know, and that's pretty good. But, um, you know, in her virtue, uh, she kind of holds it over everybody else. You know, I'm virtuous and everybody else isn't virtuous, except the people who are like me, yeah. right? The good people who are like me. So it's almost like she has this caste system that's played out in her mind, and that's not the system that God has, right? There's, you know, one of the scripture passages I was, I was thinking about um, when, when we were reflecting about talking about this is, you know, the, the Pharisees and the tax collector. And essentially, you know, the Pharisees talks about how great he is. And essentially, I'm not, I'm glad I'm not like this poor slob who's next to me. <laughs> and, you know, so that's, that's kind of like the, uh, the, the woman in the, in the character or in the, in the story. But then um, you have this tax collector who's, who's really in touch with who he is. And uh, that's what humility is too, right? Humility is that understanding who we are in relationship to God and with one another. And essentially the tax collector says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So he realizes who he really is. And uh, unlike Mrs. Turpin, she, she doesn't get it. <laughs> but I think uh, toward the end, that grace-filled moment, I mean, she's there is the grace-filled moment when Mary Grace nails her with the book, <laughs> Human Development. And then that development starts to play out toward the end where she has this vision of what it will really be like, what it will really be like. And with, um, with uh, Ms. Turpin, one of the great things about it too is you can see that she is a virtuous woman. You can see that she does love the Lord. You can see in some sense she does love her neighbor, but she still has things, she still has sins that, um, that she clings to, that she carries, virtuous she is. And so I think one of the, the things that this points us toward as well is it points us toward purgatory, and really purgatory to us is a gift from God. You know, it uh, purges us of those sinful inclinations because there's no room for sin in in heaven. And um, also, I was thinking about Paul's letter, First uh, Corinthians 13, and that's the um, the, the wedding reading, um, which we all know so well. But um, you know, uh, Paul Paul talks about at the very end of that. In verse 13, he says, So faith, hope, and love remain these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so, you know, what is love? Love is that eternal embrace of the Father in heaven. And so there's no room for sin there, right? The sin uh, pulls us back from loving. And would you say that's a theme throughout every story? It, it's at some point, one of the characters, the main characters, has this encounter, uh, and they can either take it or leave it with this, this opportunity to encounter grace. Yeah. You know? Yeah, God's not going to force us, force it on us. He's going to offer it to us because He loves us so much. And uh, what happens when we receive grace? We participate in His life, and so um, and we're able to, you know, operate and function on a supernatural level. And so, um, yeah, it's yeah. Either they can they can take it or not, but there's not going to be this this imposing that upon somebody, forcing it upon somebody, taking away their free will. God gives us will because he loves us so much and one thing i think was interesting too is revelation is i believe one of the last stories she ever wrote so she was coming to the end of her life 
And it, you know, I kind of wonder if these themes were a little bit more on the forefront of her mind because she wondered in some way whether that she'd be encountering God face to face soon, you know? Yeah, and the, the interesting thing about that too is I'm sure that was always a part of her life, but when we get toward the end of our life, it, it, I think it's, it's a little more urgent, right? Much more urgent. And so um, she gets to the end, the lupus is really starting to take over her body. And so she starts to write stories such as, uh, such as Revelation, where you're, you're, you're thinking about changing your life. But we always want to be prepared, no matter how old we are. We always want to be, be prepared. And um, like the rule of St. Benedict says that the good monk always keeps death before him, which sounds morbid, but it's not at all. But it, it means essentially we want to be able to give an accounting for our life. We want to make sure we're living good uh, lives, good virtuous lives in a healthy way. And that uh, we're loving our, our God with our, 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 all of our being. And we're loving our neighbors ourselves. Following our Lord, taking up our cross and following after him. But one of the, I was um, trying to remember some of the, uh, the, the quotes about uh, that, that she had that, that I love so much. But she was a big, big fan of St. Thomas Aquinas. And um, there's a great book by Peter Kreef, teaches at Boston College. It's called Summa of the Summa, which I absolutely love because I, I can read a summary of the, of the Summa, but uh, uh, the Summa's a little long for me. But um, at the very beginning, of it, there's a quote from Flannery O'Connor, which I love the fact that he put it in there. I'm not surprised that he put that in there. Um, but he said that I couldn't make any judgment on the Summa except to say this. I read it every night before I go to bed. If my mother were to come in during the process and say, turn off the light, it's late, I, with lifted finger and broad, bland, beatific expression, would reply, on the contrary, I answer that the light, being eternal and limitless, cannot be turned off, shut your eyes, or some such thing. In any case, I feel... I can personally guarantee that St. Thomas loved God because for the life of me, I cannot help loving St. Thomas. <laughs> so you hear her wit, but in that wit, that, that beautiful Southern wit, um, you, you, there's, just a, there's a dart that hits the, hits the bullseye, which is, which is beautiful. And that, I think that talks about, about her, her devout faith. There's another one, a longer one, uh, concerning the Eucharist, but we're going to save that one for for another time. Oh yeah, we can go way in depth. Well, and I like this this one too. Is uh, she had a lot of she had a lot of struggles with people that were or non-Catholics. You know, she she was always trying to um, you know she had many friends, but she was she was never apologetic for her faith. And she has this great quote. It says, uh, "When people have told me that because I am Catholic I cannot be an artist, I have to reply ruefully that because I am a Catholic I cannot afford to be less than an artist." You know, so it's it's great. She really lived this. Um, you know her her Catholicism in every facet of her life, but she did. never in an overbearing way. No, you know? no, not at all. And that's that's why I I hope that somebody takes up her cause. I I think I think she I think we need we need good Catholic writers. We need good people to look up to. And if somebody were to take up her cause and uh, to pray for her intercession, and miracles were attributed to that, possibly with writers, then um, you know hopefully the church could advance that and. She'd be called uh, blessed and maybe soon a saint. But I, I, I absolutely shocked by love St. Thomas. <laughs> I love Flannery O'Connor. Well, it's funny to me, too, that you take her writings on vacation. Because uh, I would never really think of her, uh, personally, as, as a vacation reader. Because it's not, 
usually you think of like a beach read or a vacation read as something that's light, and hers is, is the opposite. I mean, there's some comedic moments in there, but it's still very challenging, and it's very it really draws you in, you know. It does. So my my friends are used to me while I'm reading and making comments. <laughs> it probably drives them crazy, but I, um, you know, some of my friends have you know read so much more than I have, and so usually when I make those comments, they they uh, they kind of. They, they make commentaries about it that are much deeper than what I have to say. I usually find it entertaining, and they're, they're a little deeper than I am. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I absolutely love, love her writing. And so hopefully in a, maybe in a, a, a little later we can go a little deeper. I know um, A Temple of the Holy Ghost is a great story. Uh, um, Parker's Back is one that I just recently read. And, um, and then there's uh, the article that we just read. I'm drawing a blank. It's the one about the bull. Oh yeah, and we'll do that in the in the in the show notes, and uh, and the guy who wrote it, I think it's a guy who wrote it, really unpacks her style of writing, but really unpacks that story too. Yeah, and I don't know if if you would agree. I would recommend if somebody is listening and they'd like to try, maybe don't start with her novellas yet, which is uh, Wise Blood. And yeah, don't start with Wise Blood. Yeah, or or uh, what is it? Everything that rises. All must things converge. that rise must. Yeah. yeah. All um, things that rise must converge. Because right? yeah, they're good, but if I the feel violent bear it away. That's it. Yeah, because if you're not used to it, it it kind of it takes a lot out of you. I think it sort of needs to dip it, you know, dip your toes in first with maybe some of her short stories, get a feel for the style, and then, especially because the violent bear it away is crazy. Um, the the end, the the climax of that. Um, so I, I don't know if you would agree. I had a friend of mine that was going on a priest friend, who was going on um, a, a vacation. And he said, hey, he goes, you got anything light, a little nice reading? And I go, sure. And I just did this out of, <laughs> as a joke. And I gave him that. He'd never read anything by Flannery O'Connor. And then I gave him another light book to read. And I go, here's two good books. And he started with Flannery O'Connor. And he thought I was crazy. And then he came back and filled out a, you know, figured out I pulled a prank on him, <laughs> which I thought was pretty entertaining. Yeah, so if you... Um, as we kind of conclude this, this, like, just a quick look, is there one maybe... I mean, we mentioned Revelation. Is there another one you'd recommend? It's a good starting point. Well, like I said, Temple of the Holy Ghost is, a, I think, a good one. Um, you you miss the real <laughs> violent uh, things. Like a good man is hard to find. You, you get a, and Parker's back is a little bit violent, a little dark. And I, I would say the Temple of the Holy Ghost is a, probably a good one to to start with. I I think Revelation's a good one to start with too. Yeah. That was like I said, that was the first one. That I was that I read, and, and the thing about it, I was so fascinated by it. I thought, who is this reader? And I didn't know that she was a Catholic author. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time, but I, I was so intrigued. And I was in this class, I remember, and I think everybody hated it <laughs> except my professor and me. And I was just, I, I remember I was kind of the lone voice and said, I like that story. And hmm. they all looked at me like I was nuts. So what what it, what it, I think what it tells me is I was gravitating toward the the good, the true, and the beautiful in there. Yeah. So at least that's what I'm going to tell myself. And she's a lot like Tolkien in that way too. Is if you you never heard of them before, you just started reading, you might not never know that they were Catholic. But yeah. it's it's infused in their work, but it doesn't. It's it's so subtle. It, there's something that draws you to it, but without ever being overt. It's you the know? brilliance. It's the brilliance of so, the writing. Yeah. It really, and both of them, their writing was truly animated by grace. Yeah. All right, excellent. So all of these things we kind of covered a lot, and we'll link to it. And what's nice too is you can always find Spark Notes or summaries for every story, which I also recommend because it'll really you'll catch a lot of stuff that you missed. Um, 
And uh, I think we maybe need to visit her again in a future. Episode. I agree. I agree. I think there's two or three more shows for yeah. on hers. All right. Well, thank you, Bishop Wall, again for uh, his first look. And uh, we'll see everybody next time for another episode. Great. Thanks, Suzanne. God bless. You got a lot tied up inside. Just won't fight